From our family to your family, this is A Legacy of Faith, the podcast. Welcome to A Legacy of Faith, the podcast designed to help your family survive the day, plan for tomorrow, and always keep an eye on eternity, and welcome to the month of April. We are glad that you have joined us this week for our first podcast in the month of April. This month on the program, we're doing something a little bit uh, different, or something we've talked about doing for some time and as we plan these podcasts, but we just haven't really done it yet, and that is we want to take some time this month to look at a particular section of Scripture. Now, all month, we're not going to be looking at one verse or something like that, but there are so many passages of the Bible that deal with our homes and our families that because this is a Bible-based family podcast, we want to make sure we spend some time in the Bible. We want our program to be very lighthearted and very encouraging and very practical, but sometimes we want to take some time to delve somewhat deeply into God's Word and see what it has to say for us. One of those passages of Scripture is found in the book of Ephesians, the end of chapter 5 and the beginning of chapter 6. Those passages deal with the home from many different angles, from wives to husbands, fathers to children, and even later in chapter 6, in passages we won't be dealing with uh, this, this month, even what would be known in a first century household as slaves and masters. We, we are not going to be dealing with that this month simply because that's not part of our uh, world today as much, but uh, thankfully we don't have slaves and masters, but sometimes we can use those to deal with employees employer relationships, but instead we're going to be talking for the next few weeks about these different relationships, husbands and wives and children. However, Ephesians chapter 5 and chapter 6 are very controversial in our modern world because of some of the specific things that are found there. And so to understand those passages better, we need to make sure we understand what Ephesians is all about. To do that, we're going to be doing something on the program today we've never done before, but hopefully you'll find it encouraging. Recently, at the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, I preached a sermon where I overviewed the entire book of Ephesians. Now, don't worry, it wasn't a super long sermon. But one of the reasons I did that was because some of those practical things found in the second half of the book, chapters 4, 5, and 6, are quite controversial until we understand Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. We need to understand both halves of the book instead of just pulling out a couple of verses and saying, well, that doesn't fit with our modern world, I don't like that anymore. We need to see exactly what's going on in the book of Ephesians. And so before we study the three specific relationships we're going to be talking about the next three weeks, wives, husbands, and children, we need to understand the context in which they are set. And so for the next few minutes, we're going to just simply play for you that sermon that I preached at the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. The sermon was entitled, Ephesians, Riches and Responsibility. And I hope you find it encouraging. I hope you find it biblical. I hope you'll pull out your Bible, unless you're driving or something. That wouldn't be good. But I hope you'll pull out your Bible even when this is over and and make sure that what we've said is true and make sure you see this full context. Then, Lord willing, next week we're going to take some time to think about what it means for wives to submit to their husbands. The week following that, we'll talk about what it means for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. And then the, the third week following this, we'll be dealing with children, obeying their parents in the Lord. The final podcast for the month of April will be a special episode since we have five weeks this week, one that's not particularly within our theme. But these first four all are based on Ephesians. And so this week, we hope you'll listen to this particular sermon. We hope it encourages you. 
We hope it helps you with your Bible study, and we hope that it helps you understand more of what God has to say in the passages we'll be dealing with the next three weeks that deal specifically with families. So with no further ado, we will turn to the sermon, and when that is over, uh, you'll hear the outro music, and our podcast will be done for this week. So I'm going to go ahead and give the usual sign-off now to remember your family can go to heaven. Just make sure you go there together. With that in mind, enjoy Ephesians, Riches, and Responsibility. It was a congregation that the Apostle Paul had a very special place in his heart for. And we know that not just because the Apostle Paul loved each congregation that he worked with, but because in Acts chapter 20, he met with the elders of that congregation, the church at Ephesus. And we're told in the book of Acts in chapter 20 that upon realizing that this would probably be the last time they would see each other face to face, that both Paul and the elders wept. They realized that this might be the last time they would see each other, and their connection through Christ and their love for one another caused them to weep, simply because they would not see each other face to face again. But sometime later, Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write a letter that we call the book of Ephesians to this particular congregation. And I want you, if you have your Bible this morning, to turn to the book of Ephesians. I'll explain why I want you there in a moment. But Paul wrote that letter. And this was not a perfect congregation. There is no such thing as far as the human side of things go. But it was a good congregation, at least when this letter was written. We know sometime even later that one of the seven letters in the book of Revelation was also to this congregation, and they had some serious problems they had to work through. But when Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, he was writing to a congregation that had some things to work through, but he was simply trying to encourage them. In fact, Paul may have written two letters almost simultaneously. Because if you've ever sat down and read the book of Ephesians, and then the book of Colossians in one sitting, you may have thought, I'm reading the same thing twice, just in a little bit fewer words, as we have them divided, the book of Ephesians being six chapters, and the book of Colossians being four. But Paul talks about much of the same things in those two letters. In fact, some have called those two letters sister or twin epistles, because of how similar they are in their content. But it's interesting, if you read those two letters very carefully, they talk about much the same thing, but with a little bit different emphasis. The book of Ephesians that we're going to be looking at this morning deals with the church that belongs to Christ, while the book of Colossians deals with the Christ who is over the church. Simply looking at basically the same things from two different emphases, if you will. But Paul, when he wrote these letters, did not write chapters. He didn't sit down and say, I'm going to write a six-chapter letter to the church at Ephesus. And I'm going to write a few verses in each of those chapters. Instead, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he simply wrote a letter. We sometimes say an epistle, but a letter to this congregation. But it is interesting that how we have that book divided up into six chapters. This particular letter, the book of Ephesians, falls literally in half. The first half, some have said, is more doctrinal. Those who want to be really fancy say it's more theological. The second half is more practical. And it literally divides into chapters 1, 2, and 3, and chapters 4, 5, and 6. And by the way, for your own study some other time, the book of Colossians also falls exactly the same way, except it's just four chapters, and chapters 1 and 2 are more doctrinal, and chapters 3 and 4 are more practical. But as Paul writes this letter to the church at Ephesus, he is trying to get them to see just how wonderful it is to be in Christ. And this morning what I want to do with you is look at the book of Ephesians. All of it. (laughs) Now before you go, 
uh, could you give us a break to run to McDonald's and get a sandwich? I had originally titled this sermon, Ephesians in 30 Minutes. We'll try. In fact, we may go less. What I want to do this morning is if you mark in your Bible, this sermon is for you. Because I want to give you a skeleton outline of the book of Ephesians that shows us the riches of being in Christ and then the responsibility of being in Christ. In fact, those are the two halves of the book. Chapters 1, 2, and 3, the, the doctrinal or theological section, all Paul is doing for three chapters is telling us how blessed, how rich we are if we are in Christ. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6, the practical part, Paul is say, basically saying, here's how you live that out each and every day. I want to show you that in a skeleton outline of this book this morning so that we can all learn just how great it is to be in Christ. First of all, in that first half of the book, you have the riches of being in Christ. Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Paul begins this letter as he does every letter, introducing himself, talking about who he is writing to, but he talks about also how there is grace and peace to be extended toward this congregation. Keep that in mind for something we'll say near the end of our time. And then after that customary introduction, Paul spends what we know as the remainder of the first three chapters describing what great blessings or great riches there are for those who are, verse 3, in Christ Jesus. In fact, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, in many ways, sets the tone for the entire book. Verse 3 begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ, there's our phrase, with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing in Christ. And in fact, for the remainder of those verses, chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, what Paul does is list for us seven riches of being in Christ. Now, you can look through those verses and maybe find more or maybe word these a different way to come up with six or eight or nine. I see seven, and here's why. Because when Paul begins the second half of the book, chapter 4, and he gets to the doctrinal, or excuse me, the practical part, here's how you live that out, we sometimes say there are how many ones? There are seven. I think intentionally, Paul lists for us seven blessings of being in Christ in the first part of the book. And then when you come to the second part of the book, he lists seven ones that we need to make sure we are united on based upon that. But you see in this list at least seven. Again, you can find more or re- renumber them if you wanted to. Seven riches or blessings of being in Christ. We are chosen by God if we are in Christ. Chapter 1 and verse 4. We are adopted by God in verse 5. We have redemption and forgiveness through the blood of Jesus Christ. Verse 7. God has revealed a mystery to us. We'll explain more about that later in the book. But God has revealed a mystery to us if we're in Christ. Verse 9, we have an inheritance because we are in Christ. Verse 11, also verse 11, we are predestined in God's purpose. And verse 13, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. But the key to all of that list is, where are those great spiritual blessings found? Again, verse 3, in Christ Jesus. We are richly blessed if we are in Christ. It is a great uh, richness to be in Him. And by the way, lest you think I'm just making up the word rich or riches to describe this first half of the book, take a glance at the first three chapters and you're going to see that word multiplied times. In my Bible, I have the word riches or rich in a little square in the book of Ephesians. And what's interesting is there's several squares in the first half of the book and none in the second half. Notice chapter 1, verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to what? 
the riches of His grace. Chapter 1, verse 18, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which He has called you, what are the, there it is, riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Chapter 2, verse 4, But God being, here it is, rich in mercy. Chapter 2, verse 7, So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable, there it is, riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ. Chapter 3, verse 8, To me, though I am the uh, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable, what is it? Riches of God, or of Christ, excuse me. And chapter 3, verse 16, that according to the, there it is, riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power. Riches, riches, rich, riches, riches, riches. I wonder what the first half of the book is about. Paul is talking about We have great and grand riches if we are in Christ Jesus. And so in that first part of the book, Paul lists seven. And you may think, that's just 14 verses. What Paul does for the remaining part of the three chapters then is select three themes to talk about at some length. Probably because the church at Ephesus had some disagreement over these things or simply needed a reminder of these things. But Paul gives us three riches that we need to make sure we explore as well. The first of these is salvation. The richness of salvation. Chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. The key phrases, You were dead in your trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together in Christ. Paul goes through these verses, probably the most famous ones in the book of Ephesians, by showing us how wonderful it is to have salvation. And how one is saved. Verse 5, by grace you've been saved. Verse 8, for by grace you've been saved through faith. And then verse 10, you are God's workmanship. Grace, faith, and work. But if you look at these verses very carefully, and you mark in your Bible, you may want to underline these phrases. Four times in these verses, Paul makes sure to show us there is a connection between Christ and our salvation. Mark them, verse 5. He made us alive together, how? With Christ. Verse 6, He raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. Mark it, in Christ Jesus. Verse 7, So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us. Where? Mark it, in Christ Jesus. And verse 10, We are His workmanship, created, mark it, in Christ Jesus for good works. It is a rich blessing to be saved. But Paul four times in ten verses reminds his readers that the only way to be saved is to be in Christ. It is a rich blessing to be in Christ because that is where salvation is found. But Paul goes on. Another rich blessing of being in Christ is the blessing of unification. Verses 11-22 through 22 of chapter 1. And the key verse here is verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. Now, what was Paul talking about? I'm pulling one verse out of one context. Paul was simply saying in this text that one of the great blessings of being in Christ is the bringing together, to use our word, the unification of Jews and Gentiles, that is, the two, verse 15, into those who are simply called Christians, the one. So making peace. Verse 11 and 12, 
speaks of how the Gentiles felt at one time as if they were cut off from the great promises under the Old Testament law that the Jews had. But the cross broke down any barriers. And the cross made Jew and Gentile alike one. Notice verse 19. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. You are members of the household of God. But again, lest we miss it, Paul makes sure to show us that this unification, this unity, can only be found in Christ. Notice the phrases again. Verse 13, But now, mark it, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Verse 15, By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, that He might create, mark it, in Himself, one new man in place of the two. Verse 20 speaks of Christ Jesus being the cornerstone. And then verse 21 and 22, mark it, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, mark it, in Him. You also are being built together in a dwelling place for God in Christ uh, by the Spirit. It is a great blessing to be unified. It is a great blessing to know there is no such thing as Jew and Gentile any longer, but that we are all one in Christ Jesus, but that we are only one in Christ Jesus. We cannot have unification. We cannot have unity without Christ Jesus. What a rich blessing. But also there is a rich blessing in the third place of a declaration. Chapter 3, verses 1-13, through 13, Paul talks about this mystery, the mystery of the Gospel. Finally being revealed, we might word it, finally being declared. But how was it declared? Through Christ Jesus. And Paul talks about what a great privilege it was for him to be able to preach, to reveal, if you will, that gospel. Verses 3 and 7 of chapter 3 are the key. Verse 3, how the mystery is made known to me by the revelation as I have written briefly. And verse 7, of this gospel I was made a minister, according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me by the working of of his power. It was clear that the Jews and Gentiles need to be brought together. But how is that supposed to be done? For centuries you had the Old Testament. You had prophets trying to talk about it, but it was always veiled. It was always some foggy picture, if you will. And then the cross came and you had unification, but you also have the ability to declare it. You have the willingness and the ability to share that Jesus Christ did come. And we have the great declaration to the world that Christ has come into the world to save sinners. We have the great declaration that Jesus said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. And we as the church are to declare that message to the world to show that all can become one in Christ Jesus. And by the way, just to make sure we don't miss the point that it's only in Christ, you see that phrase again. Notice chapter 3 verse 6. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members in the same body, and partakers of the promise market in Christ Jesus through the gospel. And verse 11, this was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized market in Christ Jesus our Lord. Folks, there's no way I can describe how rich it is to be in Christ. But to look at what Paul wrote for what we know as three chapters where he has to hold himself back from going back to all seven of those things he listed in chapter 1 and only talk about three of them at some length. 
and remind his readers that all of these great riches are only found in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. Over and over and over again. He tells them, if you want to be saved, have that great blessing, it's only in Christ. If you want to have unity, if you want to have unification of people, the only way they'll ever be achieved is in Christ Jesus. And if you want a message to tell the world, the only message we have to tell them is the one that's found in Christ Jesus. And so it's no wonder then, as Paul comes to the end of that section, he hinges this letter. In fact, the verses we read to open our worship this morning, some are described as the hinge verses of the book of Ephesians. Because as Paul brings that doctrinal section to a close, he can't help but just burst forth with praise to how great God is and how great Christ is. Notice verse 21 of chapter 3. To Him be glory in the church and where? In Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul is concluding his doctrinal section, but as he reflects upon how wonderful it is to be in Christ, he praises God for how fantastic this is. But sometimes we look at passages like that that are somewhat deep. The first chapter of Ephesians is deep. It's somewhat difficult to, to understand everything. And we don't quite get every single word and we go, yeah, but so what? In other words, how do I live that out every day? That's the second half of the book of Ephesians. You see, the Bible doesn't just tell us a mindset to have. The Bible tells us how to live out that mindset every day. And so as Paul begins the second half, he opens it with the word therefore. Chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And so you come to the second half of the book of Ephesians, and you have the responsibilities of being in Christ. It is wonderful to be in Christ. But how does that play out? And in the remaining half of the book, Paul simply gives us some pictures. Some things to remember for our everyday life. They are responsibilities. There are five. First, the responsibility of Christian solidarity. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 16 speaks of a solidarity, a unity that must be found upon, uh, in God's people. Based upon how God has blessed us, based upon the riches that God has blessed us, we should be, chapter 4, verse 2, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How unified should Christians be? This is the seven ones. We should be totally, completely unified on the fact there is one, one Lord, one body, one faith, one baptism, the seven ones of verses 4, 5, and 6. But that unity doesn't mean we all have the same talents or the same gifts or the same abilities. Each of us is still human. Each of us still has certain traits and attributes that make us unique and different and useful in the kingdom. And so verse 11 tells us there are different roles. But what's the purpose of them? Chapter 4, verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry and for the building up of the body of Christ. And this section ends, verse 13, with the goal of the church until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. I mentioned this in the Wednesday night class that meets in here. I said, if you read Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 13, the only problem I have with that verse is it gives us a goal that will never be fulfilled. Because what Paul is saying there is, the goal of the church is to continue to teach and live the Christian life until every single person on the face of the earth is so faithful that they look just like Jesus Christ. It's a never-ending goal. But that's how unified we should be. Now, what does that imply? 
If it is my responsibility, our responsibility, each one of us who are Christians, to maintain Christian solidarity or Christian unity, think about what that means in the context of the book of Ephesians. If I am not eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, if I am not standing for those seven ones, if I am not trying to build up the body of Christ and help it grow to mature manhood, to use Paul's words, then what does that imply? It implies I'm not grateful for the riches that are found in Christ Jesus. It implies I've never really thought about how great it is to be in Christ. As a Christian, I have a responsibility toward Christian solidarity. But I also have a responsibility to choose to switch. To choose to switch. Chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. When someone becomes a Christian, we know a change occurs in that person's life. They go from outside of Christ to in Christ. They go from a life of unrighteousness to a life of righteousness. They go from darkness to light. And there are all these pictures that we use. But there's also a sense in which we who are Christians continue to change. And by that I mean we continue to mature and grow. To use Paul's words from these verses, we continue to take off some things and put on some things. We continue to grow in the faith. Notice with me in chapter 4. Excuse me, verses 22 through 24. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Notice we're calling this that we're choosing to switch, and these verses are why. We're renewed in the spirit of Of your mind. God is not going to force anyone to do what He would have us to do. He allows us the choice. But if I am maturing in my Christianity, if I'm continuing to be thankful for the riches that are found in Christ Jesus, then I will choose to put off things that go against Christ Jesus. Verses 25-32 through list some of them. Things like falsehood, thievery, corrupting talk. I'll choose to take those things away. But I'll also choose to put on what it means to be a faithful Christian. I'll put on what it means to follow Christ every day. I have a responsibility for choosing to switch how I live from unrighteousness to righteousness. When do I make that choice? When I realize how rich I have it in Christ Jesus. But I also have the responsibility of a careful shift. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 21. We sometimes speak of the Christian life as a walk. And in the first part of chapter 5, Paul uses that same imagery. Chapter 5, verse 2, And walk in love, as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifices to God. But notice we're calling this a careful shifting in our walk, because this is the section that deals with our careful walk. Chapter 15, excuse me, verses 15 and 16, Look carefully how you walk. Not as unwise, but as wise. Redeeming or making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Be careful how you walk. And verse 10 had already said the same thing. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You see, as a Christian, I must change my mind. We just talked about that. But that's going to lead to a change in how I walk. I'm going to shift my walk. I'm going to walk in the light, 1 John chapter 1. I'm going to realize that only God's Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, verse 105. And so I'm going to shift my walk and continue to be careful in how I make every step every day 
Is it to the glory of God? But I'm only going to do that when I remember how rich I have it in Christ. But I also have the responsibility for closely sharing. This goes from chapter 5, verse 22, through chapter 6 and verse 9. The end of chapter 5, the beginning of chapter 6 deals with those relationships. And we don't know if the church deficits had problems in these areas or if Paul was just simply uh, t- teaching them some things or if he was correcting some things. We don't know. But in these verses, husbands, wives, children, fathers, masters, and slaves or servants are all addressed. And keep in mind, in that day and time, there were masters and servants within a household. So in reality, this is simply a household responsibility. And this is likely, in our modern world, the most controversial section of the book because we think everybody's all the same. But, well, we all are the same as far as being in Christ. Everyone has a soul. Everyone is equal in value. But we all have different roles to play. It's interesting as you go through these verses how Paul brings the emphasis again that all of these roles are based in Christ and ultimately being submissive to Him. That we closely share in our homes because we are all one in Christ if we have a Christian home. Glance through the verses and notice it with me. Chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands. How? As to the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her. Chapter 6, verse 1. Children, obey your parents. Where? In the Lord. For this is right. Chapter 6, verse 5. Slaves or servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would who? Christ Chapter 6, verse 9. Masters, do the same for them, being the servants. And stop your threatening, knowing that He who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with Him. May I say this as lovingly, but also as bluntly as I know how? Maybe the main reason we have so many problems in our homes, in our society today, is not because we don't understand Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 9. It's because we don't understand Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3. When I understand how rich I have it in Christ, I'll have no problem fulfilling my role in the whole. Because all of it is connected to Christ. If I may put it this way, it's not an Ephesians 5 problem. It's an Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 problem. We have a responsibility as Christians to closely share in our home. And the only way we do that is in Christ. And then finally, we have the responsibility for a courageous struggle. Finally, be strong where? In the Lord and in the power of His might. Chapter 6, verse 10. Paul never says, you become a Christian in Ephesus, you're never going to have a problem again. You're never going to be tempted again. Everything is going to be fantastic. Instead, he tells you, you are going to have a fight. You're going to continue to have to, as we sang this morning, Brother Ken led us, to have to stand up, stand up for Jesus. We're going to have to do that. We're going to have to fight those battles. There are going to be forces that try to pull us away from God. We have the responsibility to be courageous and to fight. And we never cower in fear. But God has given us all we need. This is the section that tells us about that Christian armor. You put on those things. The breastplate of righteousness. The helmet of salvation. The sword of the Spirit. The feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You put on all those things. And you carry with you the sword of the Spirit. Why? Because this is an offensive battle. There is nothing in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, that says, by the way, here's your retreat gear. It's not there. It's an offensive battle with the sword of the Spirit. And we have a responsibility to fight for what is right. 
I will only take that responsibility seriously when I remember how rich I have it in Christ Jesus. Paul opened the book of Ephesians with that customary greeting. And I told you to keep in mind something from his opening. Because in chapter 1 and verse 2, he had said, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. He then spent three chapters saying, If you're in Christ, oh, how rich you have it. What great blessings you have. And then he spends what we know as three chapters talking about, here's how you live that out in in your business life, in your home, in your everyday walk. Here are the responsibilities you have. And how does he end the book? Peace and grace to those who are in Christ Jesus. The question very simply we must close with is are you in Christ Jesus? Well, of course I am. We studied this in my Bible class this morning. But how do you get in Christ Jesus? For we know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. I want to extend the invitation this morning of the Lord in two ways. Using the two halves of this book. There are some in this room this morning who have never been baptized into Christ. I want you in your mind's eye to think about those first three chapters. And I want you to think about what you're missing out on. The blessings, the richness of being in Christ. In Christ, in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. All of those fantastic blessings. That's the only place they are found. If you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, you are missing out on those wonderful riches and blessings that are only there. Don't you want them? Most of us in this room have been baptized into Christ. But here's my question for us. Am I living out the responsibilities? Have I remembered how great I have it because of what God has done for me in Christ? And am I taking those responsibilities seriously in my home, at school, in my office, in my everyday life? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in Christ in the heavenly places. I therefore, the prisoner of God, urge you to walk worthy of the manner in which you were called. To which do you need to respond this morning? To become in Christ or to take your responsibility more seriously? Will you come as we stand and sing to encourage you?